Welcome to Calvary. Those of you who are here in this room and those of you who are in Classic, we're glad that you're with us. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. He is the truth and the foundation for the church. And we're studying a book of the Bible that is a foundational book explaining the development of the church in the first century that gives tracks for us to understand in 2019 what the church should be like. And we want to be um, His church that gives Him glory and lets Him be the Lord of all things of our life, and um, we're going to celebrate Him this morning. Sometimes when you come to church, you anticipate a message that's going to really speak to your very situation. But there are 300 situations in the room this morning. And while I can't plan what your situation is, I know that the Holy Spirit is able to take things that I say and apply them to your life in ways that I will never know. And that's what I've prayed for this week, that the Holy Spirit will in fact talk to you this morning about what's going on in your life. That said, there may be nothing about my message this morning that pertains to your particular situation today. But it may next week, or a month from now, or next year, or sometime down the road, when you will be alone with God and you will reflect back on what happened here today, and you will hopefully have written down in some treasured place that you will refer to, or your mind is a steel trap that never forgets a thing, and you will be reminded of the truths that we talk about today because they are transformational, and they are important for you to know if you want to follow Christ exactly what we're going to talk about this morning, and that is our life with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together as we begin. I pray, our Father, that You will speak to us this morning. Regardless of our circumstance, the weights and cares, the joys, the triumphs that we've experienced in this week and that are in our minds this morning, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit will break through all of those and let us hear with simple clarity and respond with strong faith to the message of the Word of God. We pray it will shape us and guide us, and correct us, and train us how to be disciples who follow Jesus. This is what we pray for as we examine the historical account of the building up of your church, and then think about our own lives living today in our world as the church, as followers of Christ, and we pray that you will give us insights that will help us know how to live and know how to follow you in every circumstance of our life. This is what we pray for in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, and everybody said, Amen. There's a great deal of confusion about the Holy Spirit because of the accounts that are found in the book of Acts. But John Stott has written, quote, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship 
without the unity of the Spirit. There can be no Christ-like character apart from the Holy Spirit's fruit. There can be no effective witness without His power. As a body without a corpse, without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Holy Spirit is dead. The Holy Spirit is alive and living in the lives of His church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that may be a mystery, indeed, how God exists in three persons, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that. And here it is taught right in our Bible. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We enter the book of Acts in chapter 2, and we find out that as the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends the Spirit, and the the Son's return and ascension to heaven following His death and resurrection makes way for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Understanding why the Holy Spirit must dwell in the life of a believer is what helps us live in all of the complexities and challenges and temptations of life. And so we return to the book of Acts. Before we get to chapter 2, and by the way, I hope you read chapter 2 this week. We're going to be in chapter 2 for two more weeks. So if you want to prepare your heart before you get to church next two weeks, read the rest of chapter 2 as we're going. But before we get to 2, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we'll be reminded what Jesus said. There he said, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. These were some of the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven. You, gathered in Jerusalem, are going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's an important word. The word baptized means to dip or to immerse, uh, literally, and it means sort of, in, in spiritual language, it means to be immersed into Christ or into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to baptize you. And you're going to be immersed, and we're going to look at what that means in just a moment. So this promise in chapter 1 from Jesus, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now, the not many days from now are chapter 2. And so there we read chapter 2, verse 1, and um, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Uh, The day of Pentecost was a Jewish feast. It was a a Jewish feast that occurred called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. It always happened 50 days after Passover. And you will see in this verse that on the day of Pentecost, when it arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. And the they, we're going to learn later, are all of these pilgrims who were required on the Feast of Weeks to return to Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem, it was swollen with people from all over the 
the known world, and they traveled into Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival of weeks or harvest 50 days after Pentecost. 50th means, is the word Pentecost. So 50 days after Passover, this is what happens. They're gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It sounded like a wind. I'm guessing that there were not really things blowing around the room, but it was just this crushing sound of a mighty wind that was right within the room they were, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. What I want you to notice is that when the Spirit came at Pentecost in this event, there was a sensory expression that they all perceived. The Spirit is often likened to a wind that blows where it will. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said to him in John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it will, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. You, you can hear the wind and its effects. And then Jesus said, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind is often uh, uh, an imagery used about the Holy Spirit. The thing I would want you to know here that this absolutely underscores that it was unmistakably something supernatural that was happening. They knew something was about this wind sound. Verse 3, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled, circle, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to one another in tongues, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Another phenomenon occurred that something descended on them that looked as if it were flames of fire that landed on them and on their mouth, and there was some manifestation of a divine presence that unmistakably was God in that place, and that expression of fire is also used throughout the Bible conveying the presence of God in a place. Can you think of any? How about Moses and the burning bush? Remember that? And if you were with us in the Exodus story, when we traveled through the Exodus, God appeared to them in a pillar of fire, and the fire was His presence with them. Uh, you may remember uh, the chariot of fire that took Elijah to heaven in 2 Kings chapter 2. And fire is often associated with the presence of God in a place. And so when Jesus says, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and suddenly they're in a place and whew, there's this sound that unmistakably is something is happening here. It feels like the wind that's crushing, and then fire descends and some manifestation of a flame is on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Luke's um, editorial comment, and they began to speak to one another in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're going to look at tongues in a moment, or 10 minutes, and uh, before we do that, I want you to know that when you see this manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming as God promised that you'll be baptized with Him, there are three accounts in the book of Acts that refer 
to the Holy Spirit coming upon someone and then them speaking in tongues. It is clear from this context, as we'll see in a few moments, that the tongues that are spoken are languages known to those who are hearing them. But what occurs in this text and two other texts that refer to tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit have led to a great deal of false teaching about the Holy Spirit, particularly the false teaching that you become a Christian by trusting in Jesus, and then some subsequent experience is necessary in order for you to have the Holy Spirit. Looking at this text and the other two texts in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 19, you might assume that that was the normative experience, that a person would trust in Jesus, and then at some subsequent time, you would pray for a Holy Spirit encounter, and subsequent to becoming a Christian, you would receive the Holy Spirit. That is not what the Bible teaches. I'm going to try to explain to you that what's happening in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19, the only three references to tongues being spoken in the book of Acts, are more descriptive of what God was doing through the apostles to bring the advance of his church. We'll see that later. What is more normative in the teaching after this historical account of the book of Acts are the teaching that Paul and John and Peter give about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which I want to take a parenthesis this morning to explain to you what I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, and what the sealing of the Holy Spirit is, and what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. If your eyes are glassing over, you say, why do I need that? You might not today, but you will soon. I guarantee you that you have to understand who is this Holy Spirit and what does he do in my life and when does his ministry come into my life and how do I live under the influence of the Holy Spirit? You have to understand these four words. And the first is, you shall be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now to them. What you get, the more normative teaching in the epistles of Paul is that the baptism of the Spirit, if we can have that slide, the baptism of the Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit normatively of the Spirit placing a person into the body of Christ at the moment of conversion. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, uh, verse 12 actually says, There is one body and many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of, everybody, one spirit. We were all made to drink of one spirit because we were all baptized into one body. What Paul is teaching is though the body contains many members, there's many members right here. Every person is a member of the body of Christ who believes in Jesus. Though the body is member, we all were baptized into the body of Christ, into his church, into his family, by faith in Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit who awakens a dead soul to believe in Jesus and to convert that soul and then by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to place that person into the family of God. 
And the baptism is the work of the Holy Spirit to immerse you into the body of Christ. And there are how many bodies of Christ? One. So it just is absolutely incongruent to think that you would have a group of people who belong to Jesus but don't have the Spirit and they're waiting to get the Spirit. What, Peter, what Paul is saying is, for by faith in Christ we were all baptized into one body. It happens the very moment you are saved. This is an instantaneous, one-time, permanent work of God whereby he takes an unsaved, unregenerate person and when faith in Christ awakens in them by the work of the Spirit, they are placed into the body of Christ. That's the immersion, the baptism of the Spirit into the body of Christ. Does that make sense? You are never, ever commanded, encouraged, or never implied to pray for the baptism of the Spirit. Because it's what God does when He saves you by His grace. We don't have time to look at it, but I want to suggest that you put in your notes Romans chapter 8 and verses 9 all the way through 16. We're there... Peter refers to the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, and if He dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Um, If you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells within you, and all who are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God, and the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. God gives us the Spirit, and the Spirit places us in the body through the baptism work of the Holy Spirit. The second work that God does instantaneously at the point of conversion, one time and permanently, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If the baptism creates a unity for everyone, we're all in the body of Christ, the indwelling provides the permanent presence of God, and it's suggested that you are indwelt in a permanent way by the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of you when you trust in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul asks the question, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? He lives inside of you. This has huge implications if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And Paul's point in the next verse in which this theme is repeated, has some stunning implications. If you are a believer in Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, the permanent presence of God in your life, what implication does that have for you? For what you do? You might be surprised that the way Paul draws out the implication of the Holy Spirit living in you has to do with your sexual life. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Your body is is the temple. We had the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, but now the place where God resides in his people is within them. By faith, dwelling on the inside. In my life, I am 
I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit, his permanent presence with me. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Paul said in verse 15 of chapter 6, which is not on the screen. He asked this question. So shall I then take the members of Christ, my body, and make them members with a prostitute? May it never be. No. What's his implication? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. So you would never be involved in anything which the Holy Spirit wouldn't be involved in. And we would say, could you wait outside while I go do this? No. Permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The implication is God is in you with you now and he's not going away and that's the implication for why you glorify God in your body and what you do in your physical and sexual life. Wow. Practical? Anybody? It's practical. You belong to Christ? Spirit dwells in you? Okay. It doesn't make sense for the body in which the Holy Spirit dwells to be involved in sexual immorality. It doesn't compute. He is the what kind of spirit? Holy Spirit. Permanent presence. Happens one time by God in you when you come to Christ. The last word that's used in the New Testament teachings that's normative about the ministry of the Spirit in our lives today is the word sealing, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And there are two verses that refer to this, both in Ephesians. I have one on the screen. And here we read, In Him you also... When you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. That's Jesus. In Christ, you believed in him, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's unpack that. You believe in Christ... And when you believe in Christ and you receive the word about the gospel of our salvation, you believed in him, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit who himself is the guarantee because he is in you permanently by God's work that you will acquire possession of your eternal life because he dwells in you. The reason that you will make it to heaven is because you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and he becomes, if you can imagine, like a letter and wax and a seal. The Holy Spirit's presence in you becomes the seal or the, the guarantee that you're going to make it to heaven because you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit's in you. Any questions? Is that good? We were traveling this week. We were at the airport. We were at our gate uh, yesterday afternoon coming home. Flying Southwest. Southwest likes humor. And this woman got on the PA system in the gate area and said, um, flight such and such to Chicago is boarding now. All passengers should be on the plane. Uh, doors will be closing in a few moments at gate C-14. We do love you, but we will leave you. 
Yeah, they can do that. God won't leave you. You're in Christ. He's in you. You're sealed. He won't leave you or forsake you. You belong to him. By none of your doing, all of grace through Christ, sealed with the Spirit, you belong to him. He's in you. Got it? That's what he does. These three things, baptism, indwelling, sealing, are God's work to save us. We're not encouraged to pray for sealing, to pray for indwelling, to pray for baptism. They're real. They're ours. They are the things that Jesus Christ gives to us by faith in him. Everybody said? Amen. Now, there's one more word that the Bible talks about, and it's in our text here, and it's the word, the filling of the Spirit. You're going to notice a difference between this word and the other word. This word, again, the normative teaching of the apostles later in the epistles about what happened in the book of Acts is further explained that the filling of the Spirit is described this way. Please pay attention to the comparison. And do not get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But, everybody, be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Why that comparison? If you've been at Calvary, you know. When you're filled with wine, you are under its influence. That's the easiest way to think about it. You're under the influence of wine. Don't do that. That just leads to trouble, debauchery. Um, ungodly behavior will likely follow. Don't be drunk with wine. That's a command. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. Be under the influence of the Spirit. The idea is to be under His control. And in order for that to occur, to be filled with the Spirit, what do you think you have to be empty of? You sort of have to figure out a way to be empty of you and, and say to God, I surrender, I yield, I confess, I relinquish, I give you control, I, I surrender my life, I've been self-motivated, self-infatuated, self-driven, self-everything, and I want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Forgive me, God. It's a time of confession to say, I've been away from you. I've deliberately done things that gratified me, and I wasn't thinking of the Holy Spirit. So I yield those things. I confess those things. To the best of my ability, I empty myself of those things, and I yield to him. Don't be drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Do you know music is a, is a consequence of being filled with the Spirit? Singing to each other, singing to God, having in your heart a joy and a song for what He has done in your life, always giving thanks to the Lord. You're not grumbling, you're not seeing the worst in everything, you're thankful in all situations. Whew. Is this convicting? And 
you give thanks in the name of the Father through the Lord Jesus, and then you submit to one another. You have a disposition toward each other that said, I love you more than I love me. I submit to you. There's this climate in the church of people who are filled with the Spirit that they love each other and serve each other and sing and give thanks for everything. That, as we all know, is the very reason filling must be continuously sought. Are you with me on that? Because sometimes we're not thankful, and sometimes we're grumbling, and sometimes we're, we, we don't submit to each other, and we seek our own way, and then we have to say, whoa, Lord, help me be filled with you. I want to empty myself and yield to you again. Let your spirit control me. Man, I really want to ask if there are any questions. This is so important that you understand what God does and then what we are told to do. Can I make one cross-reference for those of you who are taking notes? In the book of Colossians and chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it begins this way, and let the word of Christ Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. And then the same manifestations that are represented here by being filled with the Spirit are present there. Just worth noting, I think part of being filled with the Spirit is being under the rule of the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. And there it says, um, and be thankful and Teach one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God that there's something about walking in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit that's tied to being saturated in the Scriptures, and we know that. Okay, that's the ministry of the Spirit that is normatively taught, prescriptively taught, slightly different than the descriptive um, account in the book of Acts. But the New Testament is progressive. It teaches further. So we should go back to the book of Acts and just look and see what happened here when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and then began to speak to one another in tongues, languages that were known. Verse 5 of Acts, chapter 2. There were dwelling in Jerusalem in those days devout men from every nation because they were in the city of Jerusalem for the festival at Pentecost. And at this sound of the wind, the multitude came together. What's that? And they were all bewildered because they were each hearing them speak in his own language. So all these pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem are now hearing their own language, known language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They're all from Galilee. How do they know these different languages? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, uh, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. Okay, tongues described here are very clearly languages that somebody else knows and speaks on a regular basis. Is that very clear? Let me show you a picture of it. This is the map of all those places. That is out of Jerusalem where all of these people came from. Why do you suppose God was doing that? 
We're actually told in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that tongues were given as a sign for unbelieving Jews, that they would know that God was in it. <clears throat> and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, because it's a sign, so here are all these Jews from all over the known world, they come into, the, into Jerusalem and they hear tongues in their own language. And where do you suppose they're going afterwards? They're going back home. And what have they heard? They've heard the mighty works of God through the person of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. And he's the resurrected Lord and everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let's go home and tell everyone. And that's what God was about in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Sending out the church. Now in verse 12 of chapter 2 we read this. They were all amazed and perplexed. And they said to one another, what does it mean? What does it mean? That's a good question. What is this? And others said, they're drunk. They're just absolutely loaded. Well, what you see in the next verses, Peter standing up, it's not on the screen, but in verse 14, Peter stood up standing with the 11 and he lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you, give ear to my words. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's the third hour of the day measured from sunrise. It's 9 a.m. They're not drunk. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then verse 17, in the last days it shall be, God declares. In the last days is the time of Christ's first coming culminating with the second coming. We're in the last days. The last days are when the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy is met in the first advent of Jesus and it culminates in the second advent of Jesus and here we are in the middle and Peter stands up to say what you're seeing, all these people speaking in different languages and everyone being amazed that they're hearing the good works of God and the gospel of Jesus in their own tongue, this is what God said in the book of Joel. Joel the prophet said in the last days... God would send forth His Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters would prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even male servants and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my Spirit and they'll prophesy. That's what's happening here. The fulfillment of what was promised in the Old Testament. In the last verses that Peter quotes, I think verses 19, 20, and 21 are the signs that are going to come at the end of the age where all the judgments on the earth are coming. And he states that too. But I think the early part of that reference in 17, 18, 19 is about what's happening right now. The Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has come to indwell believers, to baptize them into his family, and to seal them with a guarantee of his presence in them that we would walk in the Spirit as we were told. I want you to know that I think tongues, uh, number one, were clearly a known language, heard and understood. That's clear from the text. I want to make a couple other statements before we leave this subject, though, and that is that when you, when you understand the normative teaching of tongues later in the book, <clears throat> all gifts are given by the sovereign will of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit gives tongues and gives any gift as he sovereignly wills. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Tongues were given here 
and always, however, the Holy Spirit determined. No one prayed for tongues to come to them. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit gave the gift of tongues in this case. Not all necessarily had the gift of tongues even here, and no one gift, we're told, is for everybody. It should not be anticipated that tongues are a necessary sign to be converted. But I want to show you um, that the book of Acts records three or four examples of where tongues occurs. And this is our last slide for this morning. In, to, to Christians in Jerusalem, it happened in Acts chapter 2. We're going to get to chapter 8, and it happened to Samaritan Christians in Acts chapter 8. It happened to Gentile Christians in Acts chapter 10. It happened to the disciples of John in Acts chapter 19. In chapter 2 and chapter 10 and chapter 19, tongues are described as a manifestation, not in chapter 8. I only want you to see this is that if you'll remember Acts chapter 1, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Sort of mapped out here. But that's extra and not for today. Are there any questions? I have to end for today. <clears throat> what are you going to take away? Could I ask you a question? Like, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you yielded? If you belong to Christ, He's in you. If you don't belong to Christ, you can't have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. But if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, then it should be our measured, earnest desire to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to yield to Him and say, control my life and let the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness be seen in me. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will be coming near to us right this moment, calling us to listen to your voice and to yield to you our life and I, I pray there'll just be an overwhelming sense of desire to keep in step with your spirit, to walk with you. And that may begin by repenting of something that's been a hobbling of a walk with Jesus, something that's been an obstacle keeping us from close communion with you, something we've been deliberately selfish about or self-focused we just want to say, Lord, here we are. We yield to you. Take control of our desires and our appetites and our values and our thoughts. Let our thinking be like that of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you seal us by faith in Christ and you, you bring us into your family and you promise to be with us forever. And because you dwell in us, Lord, let us live for your glory this week and live under your influence. And may every sweet manifestation of the Holy Spirit be experienced in increasing measure by us as we yield to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.